Father, this morning, we are just grateful to be here. Lord, um, I think about Christmas time and, and just remember what it was like as a kid and just kind of how feelings and thoughts about um, celebrating the birth of Christ change and the way that it impacts us over the years. And for me, Lord, just thinking about our world today, and Jesus, you have come so that the human soul could feel its worth. Jesus, you have come so that we could understand life. And God, in the midst of hopelessness, in the midst of fighting and difficulties and stress and strife, Jesus, remind us that you are our hope. Lord, show us how to live that out. Lord, so that people, when they see us, don't see someone that's anger, angry and bitter. Lord, they don't see someone that is self-righteous. But Lord, I pray that they would see us as humble followers of the one that saved us. So Jesus, bless this time. We thank you so much for this opportunity to sit at your feet and hear your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. Man, Just uh, that was great just to worship the Lord. Um, and some of the songs that were chosen, it's funny because, you know, sometimes we could like coordinate songs for a message. Most of the times we don't. <laughs> Most of the times like, you know, they're praying, the worship team's praying about what to, what to lead. And I'm just praying about as the Lord would have us go through the word. And um, it just seems like so many times the Lord brings those things together. So this morning, um, if you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke chapter 10. So if you don't have a Bible, in the seats in front of you, you could grab a Bible and you could follow along. We're going to be in Luke chapter 10 this morning. Again, it's a blessing uh, to be here. Last night over at the, the Christmas tree lighting, it's kind of a funny thing. It's a lighting ceremony and the tree is not at the community center. The tree is actually on the street. So like the celebration is over here at the community center and the, then the tree gets lit from a distance. But there were probably a couple of thousand people there last night and and just being around others and, and just sharing, I mean, saying Merry Christmas at a time when everything is kind of transferring to happy holidays. Oh, what holiday? What, are you, what holiday are you talking about? You know, uh, only 20 shopping days left till what? Uh, till left till what? You know, it's Christmas. And what is Christmas? It's, it's uh, Christ's mass. It's the birth of Christ. Um, but this morning, as we turn to um, Luke chapter 10, I also wanted to share with you that the message of Christmas is more than a feel-good time. I, I mean, I love the feel-good stuff of Christmas. It's one of the reasons why we still get a real tree. Um, you know, some people don't get a tree, and that's up to you. And some people get fake trees, and that's great. But there's something about that smell and the experience for us to go out and pick a tree together that we do that. But I'll tell you that when you think about what happened in San Bernardino last week, and you think about what happened in Paris a couple of weeks before then and in Mali. And you, you think about our world and the evil that is in our world. Christmas is the message of hope. We have the good news. In a world of bad news, if you watch the news, there's so much bad news, so many bad things that are happening. The word gospel means good news. We have it. And we need to share that. What a, what a thing not only to celebrate, but what a message to share with others. So I, I just encourage you during this season to be in prayer for people, to invite people, to, to tell people about Christ in, in a way that is not in their face, but in a way that is just saying, let me share with you the hope that, that I have. So as we've been going towards Christmas and towards this new year, finishing the book of Romans, and now just looking at Jesus full of grace and truth, um, you don't have to turn there, but in John 1, 1, it says that the word became flesh. Um, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. And, the, and then it says later on, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So when you consider Jesus being full of grace and truth, it's not grace or truth. And you know, when I think about the political scene that we're in, with debates, and every tragedy brings new people yelling at other people, tossing verbal tweets and posts and things back and forth. And I'm not against uh, stating and sharing what we believe, but I'll, I'll tell you what, Jesus full of grace and truth is the balance that people need to know. 
It's not just Jesus full of truth and there's judgment, but it's Jesus full of grace. And it's not just Jesus full of grace. It's Jesus full of grace and truth. So we've been looking at these different uh, vignettes, these different experiences that Jesus had with other people. You know, my uh, iPad is stuck. If we could go to that first sermon blank, and then I think from there I could probably control it. But some of the people that we have looked at in Scripture, Jesus full of grace and truth, we looked at Nicodemus. And remember that Nicodemus needed to hear the gospel. He needed to know that he needed to be born again. He was a religious guy, a very good person, wealthy. It seemed like everything was going his way. But Jesus said, unless you're born again, you can't even see the kingdom of God. And we talked about Nicodemus and how sometimes the person that doesn't look like they need Christ might need it the most. And we can't judge people just based on the outside and like, well, that person has a good job. They have a good house. They're involved in PTA. They probably don't need the gospel. This person, you know, is in the streets and homeless and this person needs the gospel. We, we, we can't look at people in that way. Everyone needs the gospel. And because everyone needs the gospel, the blessing is you and I will never talk to someone. We will never come into a conversation where we are talking to someone that doesn't need Christ. You, you realize that Every other thing that you try to present to someone, people don't need it necessarily. But when it comes to Christ, everyone needs the Lord. And then we looked at the woman at the well. Do you remember the woman at the well? Um, Jesus uh, encountered the woman at the well. He had to go through Samaria because he had to encounter this woman. And when Jesus encountered this woman, remember he talked about the living water. And uh, she, she said, give me this living water. And Jesus said, go call your husband. And she said, I don't have a husband. And he said, you've rightly said you don't have a husband. You've had five husbands and the man you're with now is not your husband. And so he confronts this, this brokenness in her life. Not just the grace, here's how to have life, but truth, this is why in your brokenness, these other things are leaving you empty. Then we looked at the good Samaritan. Jesus tells this parable of the good Samaritan to a, a, a lawyer who asked Jesus, what must I do to be saved? And you remember the good Samaritan was not the religious person. He was the person racially and culturally that the Jews did not get along with. They, they looked at them as lower class citizens. And yet it was the Samaritan that went to help. And now tonight, one of the things that we are going to look at is how Jesus ministers to a family. And this is a family that they're friends of Jesus. They know him. They already have a relationship with him. And um, I, I love the fact that this family is a family that Jesus speaks grace and, grace and truth to also. So in Luke chapter 10, beginning with me in verse 38. Luke chapter 10, verse 38. It says here, okay, there we go. Sometimes um, <laughs> sometimes I click and I get really impatient with my clicks. You guys do that with the mouse? And then you keep clicking and then it goes like five things ahead of you. So Luke chapter 10, it says in verse 38, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village. And a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. She had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed. And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. Jesus in chapter 10, at the beginning of chapter 10, tells the disciples to go out and to preach the good news and to heal the sick. And as he sends them out at the beginning of Luke chapter 10, there are 70 of them. He says to them, pray that the, you know, the harvest is great, the laborers are few. Pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. And then Jesus sends them and they do these good works. Then they come back and they say, hey, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And Jesus says to them, don't rejoice in that, but rather 
rejoice that your names are written in the book of life. Then from there, we go to this, uh, this lawyer who asked Jesus this question, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus says, you know, love the Lord your God with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. Um, he asks this question of this guy. And, and the guy asks this question, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus tells him about the, the good Samaritan. And, you know, I was thinking about Jesus sending the 70. And then I was thinking about the good Samaritan. And then I'm thinking about Martha and Mary. And I'm wondering if there's a connection that the Holy Spirit is given to link these three accounts together in Luke chapter 10. And I think all three of these focus a little bit about doing, doing, doing things, being a person of action, being a person that, that does things because our hearts are, are touched by God and so we end up doing things. But then if you notice in all of those, there's a focus that goes from doing to being. And let me explain why I think that that is really important as we consider this passage. Sometimes we are all about doing I don't know how many of you would consider yourself a type A personality. But if you are, you, you're a fixer, you're a doer, you love lists, you love checklists, you love spreadsheets, you love calendars, you like to get busy about things. When someone tells you a problem or something that they're going through, instead of listening and just saying, wow, I'll pray for you, you're the one that says, let me tell you what you should do. You need to do this and you need to do this. And you start to fix things for them. And that's not a bad thing. I'm, I'm just letting you know, if that is your personality type, don't feel like, oh, now I'm not spiritual, I'm not a good person, it's, it's the quiet, contemplative, you know, meditative person. No, there, there's both kinds of people. But if you're that type of person that is a doer, we have to be careful that sometimes in the middle of doing, the doing can become more important than the being. The doing can take priority over relationship. And so when it comes to Martha and Mary, um, we, we look at Martha and Mary and we realize that they seem to have these two different giftings, these two different personalities. And, and if you're the go ahead and get things done and, and uh, just that type of person, sometimes you're worried that you have to take up the slack for everyone else that doesn't have that attitude. If you're that type of person, you're the one in your family that plans. You're the one in your family that, that strategizes and, and figures things out ahead of time. And I'll tell you that, that during this season, at the end of the year, it gets really crazy for us. I, I don't know if you feel that tension. I do. Um, high school, semesters, uh, university quarters are coming to an end, right? So you're right in the middle of finals. You're right in the middle of that final push. Uh, one of my sons is in the school play, so we had all of that. We had college applications due, staying up all night trying to figure out which colleges, which universities. And then on top of that, uh, one of my daughters, she started uh, playing for a basketball team, her first time playing team sports, so wanting to be involved in that. My other son joined a mountain bike uh, team, and so he's mountain biking. And, and all of these are good things. We have the Christmas tree lighting thing. Our anniversary is coming up. We have two more birthdays in our family. We have Christmas. We have ministry. And joy to the world, right? What a great, great season. Um, you have end-of-the-year finances. You have, you know, if you're a, an accountant, you know that you're buried during this time. And, and, and there's just this stress, not to mention tragedies that are happening around our world. And I just feel like a pressure that I, I, I just, I, ha I feel it every season, but this season, it is extra. And these, this season, it feels oppressive to a large degree. And, and I think about sometimes those that are the doers and even those that are the quiet contemplatives that, that we could just get into the flow of life without stopping to worship without just stopping to talk to Jesus. We could do a lot of things for Jesus without talking to Jesus. And so here's Martha and here's Mary. It says in verse 38, it happened as they went, he entered a certain village and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And now Martha, Mary, and Lazarus were a family, two sisters and a brother. We know from the book of John that this, uh, they lived a couple of miles from Jerusalem in a town called Bethany. 
More importantly than that, they were friends of Jesus. So when Jesus would travel to Jerusalem, he would sometimes stay at their home and the disciples with him. Now here it's called Martha's house. Uh, maybe because, you know, Martha Stewart, but um, I'm just kidding. Uh, but it's called Martha's house. She might've been the oldest of the siblings. She also might've been the one that was always the hostess, always, you know, showing hospitality, getting the home ready. And everyone knew it as Martha's house. But Jesus here is less than a year away from his death and his crucifixion. Because he knows that, it just seems like at the end of his life, when you read scripture, he starts to pull away from the masses. He starts to pull away from the many. And notice that he starts to spend more time with friends. In fact, at the end of Jesus's life, he goes from the multitudes to the 70. And from the 70 in that last year, most of the time was with the 12. And with the 12, there were these instances where he just takes Peter, James, and John. He spends more time with Mary and Martha and Lazarus. And, and I think that part of it is that humanity part of it where it's all about relationship. And he wants them to know that, that they're dear to him. I also think that when they would come and stay with Mary and Martha and Lazarus, that it was kind of like a, a shelter from the storm. At this time in his life, public opinion is, is starting to fail. The last year of Jesus's life, instead of everyone looking to him and being excited about him, they're now controversial things. Jesus said, unless you eat of my blood, eat of my flesh and drink of my blood, you have no part of me. And it says from that time, many people stopped following him. He started challenging people. Are you really going to be a follower of Christ? Unless you, unless you take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me, you can't be my, you can't be my disciple. And, and it's at this end of his life that I think the home of a friend is very special. You know, I, I think about this. When you're struggling or when you're going through trials or when you're going through difficulties, whose homes do you love to spend time in? Just think about your own life. You might have a lot of friends, and that's good. You're, you're a friendly person. But there are certain people that when you're going through a difficult time, a stressful time, you're going through pain, these are the people you gravitate towards because you could just be yourself. You feel welcome. They know you. And this is Mary and Martha and Lazarus. If I had to get, guess, uh, Martha has a, a gift of uh, administration and a gift of hospitality. We can go to that first point. My iPad is locked up. But in verse 39, it says, she had a sister called Mary who also sat at Jesus's feet and heard his word. But notice Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. She had a great work ethic, Martha. But lest we should put her in a category of just a person that is working, do you realize that in John chapter 11, Jesus asks her this question, Martha, do you believe in the resurrection? She said, yes, Jesus, I do. In the resurrection, I know that, you know, those that are, um, that there's going to be a, a resurrection and, uh, you know, those that follow God. Martha was a theologian. She knew the word of God. In fact, at a time when many people were shrinking away from following Jesus, she invited him into her home. There was already controversy over Jesus to the point where there were many times that people would gather up stones because they wanted to kill Jesus, but they didn't because of the fear for the crowds. But Martha risked. So I want you to think about, imagine someone that is very controversial and someone that people... Um, publicly are denouncing would you welcome them into your home so martha is not just this busy body that is doing a bunch of stuff she knows the word of god she believes in jesus she believes in the resurrection she risks by accepting him and welcoming him into her home and i'll tell you that people that have a gift of hospitality and a gift of serving like this are an absolute blessing we need those gifts in the body of christ today if we did not have those gifts within the body of Christ, there would have been no cups yesterday 
for hot cocoa. There would have been, the, the coffee wouldn't have been ready. Cookies not, would have not been handed out. The church would not have been decorated. Uh, flyers would not have been made. Lights would not have been hung. I mean, people with the gift of serving, gift of hospitality, gift of administration. I, I think about the youth group every time when they serve uh, for our agape feasts. When they do, thank them because it's a lot of work and it's, it's fun to serve, but it's also a lot of work. You know, I think about the sound in the media team, that they're doing slides, and sometimes technology isn't perfect. The only time we notice those people is when technology doesn't work, right? When there's a feedback or a slide that is out of order or something doesn't get up onto the, the website or whatever it is. But those people are absolutely valuable parts of the body of Christ. Think about your own family. Who are the people in your family that are the ones that plan? the ones that organize, the ones that prepare the meals, the ones that that do the things that need to get done. So what Jesus is doing in this, and, and when we read this, it is not pitting one personality versus another personality. God created you with your own individual personality and gifts. Some people naturally lean towards those lists and being busy and administration. Some people naturally lean towards being quiet and contemplative and writing and meditating and thinking. But what is being focused on is where is the heart of worship in the midst of the serving? And what this is really about is where priority is. It's not about personality type. Again, Martha's hospitality is great, but so is Mary's hospitality. You know, when you think about hospitality, it's not perfectly folded napkins and uh, the fork on one side and the sp- I mean, that's a part of it. You know, taste, uh, table settings and, and candles. I mean, that's a part of it. But I'll tell you, another part of it is the hospitality that you show to a stranger that walks into church. And you don't know them. And maybe you feel uncomfortable, but you go and you talk to them because you care about them as a new person. Or you think about the person at your school that people don't talk to. Hospitality is going up to that person and talking to them, even if no one else is talking to them. Or the person at work, or the person that, that maybe feels like they're the outcast for whatever reason, whatever their background. Hospitality is showing someone that they are worthy of your attention. Hospitality is looking someone in the eyes when you're talking to them and listening and not looking past them and not hearing, you know, hearing what they're actually saying. So that after they say something and they pause for you to respond, you don't go, oh, what, what? See, Mary showed a different kind of hospitality to Jesus. She sat at his feet because the preparation time was over, but now Jesus is there. Now it's time to spend time with Jesus. Now, maybe they had this team approach. I don't know if you guys have this team approach when you're trying to get things ready. Things aren't quite ready. So one person entertains the guests, talks to them, you know, has conversation. The other person is frantically in the kitchen cleaning and and, in the bathroom, you know, wiping things down and doing stuff. And and, uh, you need the person to have the conversation because otherwise the person by themselves is going to start looking around at all the dust and they're going to notice all the mess. And so, you know, the person that's having the conversation is getting nervous. Like, when are you going to come and help me to carry this conversation? So you need a a team. And, And both of them are together. But again, What's happening is that when Martha is serving, she's distracted with her serving. This is not against serving, practically. Jesus is for serving. The Son of Man has come not to be served, but to serve. Jesus was a servant to all of us by dying for us on the cross. So it's not against service. But Martha was distracted with serving, which means there are times that we could be distracted from Jesus even while we are serving Jesus. We could be distracted from worshiping even while we're ministering to other people. Now, I I imagine this in my mind with Martha. As soon as Jesus comes, welcoming him him into our home, and, and Mary's probably cleaning as well, but then Jesus comes and she just sits at his feet. And Martha's cleaning and she's looking and Mary's still sitting there at his feet. And in my imagination, I imagine her being a little bit passive aggressive. 
like, oh, you know, coming out with the tray, here's the drinks, you know, and like clank, you know, like, like setting them down. You know, it only took 10 minutes to, to do those and then walking back to the kitchen and, and like, uh-huh. and then maybe she's humming and, and she's just kind of frustrated. And some people can be like that kind of passive. They don't say anything, but they're just kind of frustrated. And then it just seems to boil over because Mary's just sitting. And, and the more that she sits, the more that, Mar- more that Martha seethes. And I, I, I confess, I get like that. I, I could get like that when it seems like, hey, you know what? How come, how come this person is not helping with this thing or isn't participating at, at home or whatever it is? And so Martha is distracted. Now, maybe you're thinking, hey, yeah, Jesus, tell, tell Mary to get up. You know, tell her to get off of her butt and go serve, you know, go do something. She's, she's just sitting there. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Again, when we think about a church, when we think about a family, both personality types are needed. But there are times when I could get so busy in doing, I could even be studying. I could even be counseling. Uh, Someone could be cleaning. Someone could be teaching the kids. And, And so busy in the doing of it that sometimes we could get bitter. See, something happened to Mary in the middle of her serving. She got frustrated. She stopped serving as unto the Lord with joy. She, she was distracted. She started thinking, well, what about me? What about me? Jesus, don't you see what I'm doing? You see how much work I'm doing? Look at all them. You know, look at her, look at him. Look at those lazy people. They're not doing anything. I'm trying, I'm doing something. And what can happen is we could lose that heart of worship. It says that Martha was distracted and that word also can be translated as encumbered or weighed down. And I'm not talking about being weighed down by sin or those types of things, but I'm specifically speaking to you who are doing things to me when I'm doing things for the Lord, doing things for people, and yet sometimes we could become weighed down or encumbered. We can become burdened with much serving. And then when we're encumbered with much serving, bad things can happen. Sometimes we begin to doubt whether or not Jesus even cares. Don't you even care for me, Jesus? Don't you care about me? Do you see what I'm doing? Look at what I'm doing for you. I'm feeding these homeless people. I am cleaning up the house. I am I'm, I'm editing, you know, message, whatever it is. And, and in the middle of the doing, I'm cooking, I'm I'm serving, I'm, and there's not other people that are doing these things. And look at my life, and my life is harder than their life. It seems like you're blessing those people that are just doing whatever they want to do even more than you're blessing me. And what can happen is we could begin to doubt whether or not Jesus even cares. Do you even know, Jesus, what I'm doing for you? Do you even see this? Do you see this work? It's crazy to think like that, but we, we fall into that from time to time. And then another thing that can happen is we can get bitter with others. We can get bitter with other people that have different ministries. Um, when I think about full-time worship leaders, that they do that as a job, um, a friend of mine, it was, it was great, uh, Danny Uliberry used to lead worship at Calvary Chapel San Jose. And so we're busy doing things, and sometimes we would be like getting things ready for the school or painting or fixing or, uh, you know, we're just kind of getting things ready. And then Danny would go into his office and you'd hear him playing his guitar. And I got to admit that I wanted to be in my office playing my guitar while I was out there doing something else. And, and Danny would always like say, hey, he would talk about like how much stuff that he had to do with, with getting worship ready. And, and it, if you've never been a worship leader, you don't understand how much goes into being a worship leader the songs and the preparation and the slides and the lyrics and, and praying about which songs and practice. And there's a lot that goes into it, more than just, just playing. But when you have a different ministry than someone else, it's easy to look at someone else's ministry and go, oh, well, look how easy their ministry is. Of course, they can sing because their life is better than mine. <laughs> they could sing because that's all that they have to do. But I'll tell you, that same attitude can come into the home. Husbands and wives... Do you ever look at each other with, I wish I had your job. 
<laughs> you're laughing because you've done that, right? If you're a husband, you've looked at your wife and thought, oh, you have it so easy. If you're a wife, you've looked at your husband going, oh, if you only knew. Now, I, I think if we're honest that most of us as husbands, we have this secret, like we're glad we have our role. We know it, your role's harder. Um, but, but sometimes we have those roles and we think about the other person. And, and when we're not thinking about Jesus and we forget why it is that we do what we do, man, it could lead to bitterness. It can lead to bitterness as a parent. When you're doing these things for your kids as unto the Lord, but it just seems like, hey, they're not thanking me. They're not noticing my wisdom. They're not saying, oh, Father, you have such wonderful wisdom. Please tell me more. (laughs) See, I'm amazed at how when you get into your 30s and 40s, how wise your parents get. They just, I I think the older you get, they, they just keep getting wiser. But in the midst of it, if we're not doing those things as unto the Lord, then we can get bitter with our kids. Oh, here I am. I'm working hard and I paid for this and they didn't even say thank you. And granted, they should say thank you and you should teach that. But bitterness can come in when we're serving other people and they're not responding. Or for those of you that are teachers, you see this every day in your classrooms. Every day you're, you're working, you're grading papers. You've been up all night grading this student's essay, teaching them how to become, you know, the next Robert Frost. And the next day you hand them the paperback and they throw it in the trash can as soon as they see it. And they didn't even read your comments. And you're going, man, I spent all night making those comments. See, I think that we need to realize that when Jesus is the focal point, then we could take a heart of Mary into the serving. It's not saying don't serve, don't be busy, don't be doing work. It's saying be busy, be doing work, but have a heart of worship and keep your priorities straight and make sure that Jesus is in the forefront of why we do what we do. Because when we forget, then we could get angry when other people don't notice. We can get angry when people don't appreciate our ministry. We should thank people. We should bless people when they're doing things and say thank you and man you're such a blessing and encourage them but when we're the ones doing that and the thanks don't come we have to be careful not to be doing it for the thanks of others we have to be careful not to be doing it so that people can say hey you're doing such a great job look at what you're doing so i know that some of you you totally understand this because you have that Martha mentality in, in a good way. You're a, a servant, you're a worker. And maybe you're tired. And in your fatigue, Jesus speaks out to you and says, Martha, Martha, whatever your name is, put your name in there. You know, there's only a couple of times in scripture, a few times where Jesus repeats a name. Um, when Jerusalem was there and, and Jesus looks over Jerusalem, he says, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I wanted to gather you under my arms as a mother hen gathers her chicks, but, but you weren't willing. Um, remember when Simon Peter, when Jesus is telling him about how Satan wants to tempt him, he says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift you as wheat, but I've prayed for you. See, there are a few times when Jesus repeats a person's name. And I don't think he does it out of a tisk tisk as much as when Jesus repeats a person's name, it's because his heart is for them. It's kind of like the way that as a parent, maybe you have a specific name that you call your, your kids when you're really like trying to convey your heart to them. Maybe you even say, son, you know, you, you know, listen to me. Or maybe you call them by their full name. But Jesus says, Martha, Martha, in verse 41, you are worried and troubled about many things of all the things that distract us from sitting at the feet of jesus i know none greater than these worry and trouble worry and trouble it is so difficult to stop our anxious thoughts and i could be physically still and sitting down and i could even have my bible open intending to pray And my mind is going a million miles a minute worried about all kinds of stuff. Instead of just sitting and and worshiping or listening to him and and communing with him. See, when we're worried about things, our our anxiety starts to build. And 
And I want to share with you that the only cure for that, the only cure for anxiety and worry is prayer and trust. It's the only cure. You know, you you think worrying, it's not going to do anything. It's not going to help someone else. It's not going to help my finances or health or another person or change a situation. But I'll tell you what I could do. I could pray. And, and there are times that I need to physically get outside. Now, everyone's different, but I, I think for most of us, there are times that we need to change our physical location at times just to be able to get to that place. Maybe your quiet place is your kitchen table. In the morning, it's quiet. That's your, that's your place. Maybe it's in your car driving. Um, you know, for me yesterday, it was getting out to Wilder Ranch and just taking a hike. And I'm out there and I'm taking a hike and I'm praying and I'm thinking on this passage and I'm realizing, man, I've been hiking for about half an hour and in this hike, my mind is still anxious. My soul is still troubled. I'm still weighed down with so many things. And we need to be careful not to think, okay, what I need to do is I need to get all of these things done and then I could sit down at Jesus's feet and I could worship and I could listen to him. I don't know if you guys do that, but I do that sometimes. If I could get through this task list, if I could get these things done, then I'll have this quiet time. And by the time that comes, usually it doesn't come because I don't finish my list. But by the time it comes, if it does come, I'm so worked up that I can't even sit and listen to him. And I'm still thinking about all of these other things. She was worried and troubled. Trials and tribulations, bitterness and anger. Isn't it very difficult to sing a worship song when you're bitter and angry at someone else? (laughs) You're just thinking because your mind starts to ruminate on it and think about how someone hurt you or what they said or how they slighted you or they didn't do what you you, you thought or whatever it is. And now in this anger, you're just trying to to worship and draw near to Jesus, but you can't because your mind keeps drifting to this person that said something that just bugs you or they did something that just bugs you. See, Mary, she is worried and troubled about many things. Then in verse 42, we get to the next person that is mentioned. And notice in this whole account, we have Jesus and we have Martha. And now we have the only one that doesn't say a whole word in this dialogue. The only one that doesn't say anything. It says in verse 42, but one thing is needed And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. It's interesting that in scripture where where we see Mary, we, we see Mary always at this position of listening to Jesus or this position of worship. Right before uh, Jesus goes to his, his crucifixion, she anoints him with this perfume and oil. And Jesus said, and it's so costly that the, the disciples are arguing and even Judas like, hey, you know, that could have been sold for so much money. And Jesus said, what she's done for me will be told as a memorial. Jesus tells a memorial, wherever the gospel is preached, I want you to remember Mary is what he's saying. Which means our sitting at the Lord's feet and talking to him and listening to him and gleaning from his word and worshiping him, do you realize that it means that that is very valuable to Jesus? That's valuable to Jesus. If you think about your friends or your family members, the people you love the most, what do you value most about them? Do you, do you value their functionality? Is it that you just value the things that they do? Or is it that you value them as, as people? You value the relationship. It, just sitting together, talking, having a conversation, being together. Um, I, I love it when my family's together. I mean, the older they get, the busier things get, the more splintered we get. We, we try to hold some things together. We try to hold Sunday evening dinner as, as sacred. There are exceptions to the rules where there are some times when we don't. We try to make it up on other times, but that's, that's a time that we want to have as a family. And, and I know that sometimes that means sacrifice, but I'll tell you that I value that so much. Thanksgiving, I went down to Southern California to spend some time with my family, and my mom doesn't travel so well anymore. I know the only time that I'm able to see her face-to-face is when I'm physically in her presence. It's, it's more difficult to do that over FaceTime or over the phone. But I'll tell you that when you're together 
you can't put a price tag on that. And if we as human beings have such a value for relationship, remember this, God created us to know him. He created us to know him. He could do things better than us. Jesus could preach the gospel more effectively than us. Angels could do a better job of singing and proclaiming the excellencies of God than us. But he uses us. And when he uses us, he uses us, I believe, because he loves that relationship. Um, we used to live on a farm, and um, we had uh, firewood because our, our heater was not working. We had firewood that was delivered to our house. We ordered I didn't even know what a cord of wood was at the time, like a cord. I'm like, oh, a little bundle. So I ordered this cord of wood and this truck comes and the dump truck in our driveway. I'm just looking at this wood and how much wood it was. It was way more than I could have imagined. And uh, my son, Matt, at the time was probably six, five years old or something. And we just went out there and I'll tell you what, he put on these gloves and we stacked wood. And we stacked wood and my back was tired and I was doing, you know, way more wood than he was at age five. But I look back on that with such fondness because that is one of my favorite memories. It's one of my favorite memories as a parent because I looked at him and he was dripping with sweat. And I'm looking at him like, hey, you know, you can rest now. He's like, no, I want to help you. And I realized that the amount of help that he was giving to me was just a small proportion of how much work that was being done. But I wouldn't trade that for anything because I just love to do that with him. And I just think about how God looks to us and he could do these things better than we can. But you know what? He loves to be with us. He loves to partner with us. He loves to allow us to try things that are maybe even too difficult for us. The way that don't you love to see your kids try things that are too difficult for them, but you love to see them try and have that kind of faith and then come alongside and help them carry something that they couldn't carry on their own. Jesus puts us in places where burdens become too much. Maybe Jesus has placed you in a situation where you think, Jesus, this is too much. The work, the difficulty, this is too much. And maybe the reason why you're there is just so that you talk to him and so that he could come alongside and undergird you and help you and walk with you because he loves you. So Mary chose that needful thing. David said, and we know David as the great psalmist, the, the man after God's own heart. He wrote in Psalm 27, 4, listen to one of the lyrics of this song. One thing have I asked of the Lord that I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. You could do so many things in, in God's strength after you pray, but let that be after you pray. Let that be after you have that time of worship and you take that heart of worship into whatever work it is that you're doing. The harvest is plentiful. The laborers are few. Jesus said, pray the Lord of the harvest to send laborers. And after they prayed, what did he do? He sent them. So as we close, um, when it comes to work and worship, Remember, we could do both as unto the Lord. We could sing, meditate, pray, listen to God's word, but we could also work as unto the Lord. And if we only do one without the other, it leads to imbalance. It leads to imbalance. Um, I think it was Martin Luther that said that sometimes we think balance is trying to get on a horse and then falling over on the other side and then jumping over the horse and then falling over on the other side. We think that is balance. It's not balance, but, but it's constant adjustment. Some people need to work. Some people, the message is, hey, you need to become more like Martha. You need to, you need to do something. And it's not, it's not to earn God's approval, but it's out of relationship where he wants us to work. But I think the main thing that Jesus is pointing out here is the priority of worship. It's the priority of worship. Let me read this to you. It's called Satan's Convention. It says, Satan called a worldwide convention in his opening address to his evil angels. He said, we cannot keep the Christians from going to church. We cannot keep them from reading their Bibles and knowing the truth. We cannot even keep them from forming an intimate abiding relationship in Christ. If they gain that connection with Jesus, our power over them is broken. 
So let them go to their churches and let them have their conservative lifestyles, but steal their time so that they cannot gain relationship with Christ. This is what I want you to do, angels. Distract them from gaining hold of their Savior and maintaining that vital connection throughout their day. How shall we do this? His angels asked. Keep them busy in the non-essentials of life. Invent innumerable schemes to occupy their minds, he answered. Tempt them to spend, 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 and to borrow, borrow, borrow. Persuade parents to go to work for long hours, to work six to seven days every week, 12 hours a day, so they can afford more stuff that they think they need for happiness. Keep them from spending time with their children. As their family fragments, soon their home will offer no escape from the pressures of work. Overstimulate their minds so they cannot hear the still small voice. Entice them with technology. Keep the TVs going constantly in their homes. Give them smartphones and tablets and smartwatches. See to it that every store and restaurant in the world plays music constantly. Get them addicted to noise and videos and pornography and games. And this will jam their minds and break union with Christ. Fill them with tweets and status updates and YouTube videos. Pound their minds 24 hours a day with news. Invade their driving moments with billboards. Flood their mailboxes and inboxes with junk mail and deals and sweepstakes and every kind of newsletter and promotional offering with false hopes. Let them wallow in social media and ads that keep sensual, beautiful models on the screens so that they'll believe external beauty is what is most important and they'll become dissatisfied with their spouses and people will become dissatisfied with themselves and they will quickly fragment. Even in the recreation, let them be excessive. Have them return from their recreation exhausted, disquieted, and unprepared for the coming week. Don't let them go out in nature to reflect on God's wonders. Send them to amusement, sporting events, concerts, and movies instead. Keep them busy, busy, busy. And when they meet for spiritual fellowship, involve them in gossip and small talk so that they leave troubled and unsettled. It was quite a convention. The evil angels went eagerly to their assignments, causing Christians everywhere to get more busy and more rushed going here and there. I guess the question is, has the devil been successful at his scheme in your life? That's pretty powerful when you think about it. Think about our unsettled souls in which we have the capability to be available 24-7. We have the capabilities to be working or entertained 24 hours a day. But God has not built us with a soul and a heart for that. He's built us for times of rest and worship and Sabbath. Therefore, in a world that just goes that direction, we need to intentionally build that into our lives. And it will be a struggle. It will be a battle because the stuff to do and the stuff to see is always going to be fighting for your heart and your attention. Again, I'm not saying all of that is bad and all of that stuff is evil. I'm just saying that sometimes we could get distracted even while we are doing busy things for the Lord. So we are going into a time of worship, a time of communion. My question for you is Jesus is full of grace and truth questions for me is my life out of balance towards laziness or works is quiet worship and meditation difficult because of unresolved issues maybe the the hard part about quiet time is that when you get quiet you start to think about unresolved sin unresolved relationships difficulty if you're a worker Is work a form of escape so that you don't have to deal with some real heart issues and relationships? So you bury yourself in work and being busy and hobbies and recreation and doing stuff so that you don't have to deal with some of that other stuff. Am I too immersed in contemplation and solitude because of laziness or fear or failure? So what is the solution? The solution is to sit at the feet of Jesus, to worship him, to listen to him. You know, when we go into this time of communion, there's a third person. There's the Marys who are busy doing things for Jesus, or the Marthas. There's the Marys that are sitting at Jesus' feet, and there's those that are doing neither. Some people are doing neither. They're not sitting at his feet, and they're not doing things for him. Maybe they don't know him, and maybe today is the day you come to know him.
And if you do, realize this. He wants you to come to him not so that you could do a bunch of stuff, but so that he could do a bunch of stuff in your heart. So that he could draw close to you, so that you could know him. Now we're going to have a time of communion. The elements here, the bread and the cup, represent Jesus' body that was broken for us and his blood that was shed for us. But before you rush and take the bread and take the cup, I want you to listen to this. Jesus' last supper, the Passover celebrated in Luke chapter 22. It says, when the hour had come, he sat down with the 12 apostles with him. And he said this, it is with fervent desire that I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took the cup and gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Likewise, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is shed for you. As we worship the Lord, if you've never received Christ as your savior, what that is, it's saying, Jesus, come into my life. It's saying, I surrender to you. I want to know you. It's asking for forgiveness. It's realizing that Jesus died for your sins. And in doing so, you enter into communion and fellowship with him. If you've never prayed to receive Christ, I'm going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask you to pray that with me. And if you have prayed to receive Christ, then remember that before you just take the bread and cup, hold on to it. Worship. Thank him. Confess sin. Listen to his spirit. Listen to him. Say, I love you. And it is with fervent desire that I've desired to eat this with you. It is with his fervent desire, Jesus wants to commune with us. Father, this morning, we thank you for your word. Jesus, we want to thank you that you are full of grace and you're full of truth. Lord, in your grace, I want to pray right now for anyone here that has never opened up their lives to you. And, and Lord, as Christmas comes and Maybe they've been around the things of God. Maybe they've seen the works, but Lord, their hearts have never been open to you coming into their lives and they've never given up control and surrender to you. And if that's you, would you just pray this prayer with me? Jesus, forgive me for my sins. Please come into my life. I want to have fellowship with you. I pray that you would fill me with your spirit. And I thank you for coming to die for me. Help me to follow you and to get to know you more. And Lord, for those of us that are already followers of Christ, we've already been born again. And Jesus, what we're asking for is we're, we're praying that this time would be a time of thanking you, a time of meditating on what you've done for us. Lord, it would be a time of communion and fellowship with you. Remind us, Jesus, that you are the one that desires this time with us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.